Check, 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 check. Oh, hey there. Thanks for tuning in to episode 26 of Wasted Local Talent. I am here with myself because people are sick and couldn't get into the studio, so got a couple things to talk about we just launched our patreon page and that's at uh, patreon.com slash wasted local talent you can go over there and check out the different things we're offering like custom ringtones to wasted local talent swag merch stuff thingies some 13 palm trees things we're giving away um, a mystery box which uh, could be anything but it will always include an item from a local business or band. Um, but yeah, there's lots of cool stuff over there. So if you want to go check that out, it's uh, patreon.com slash wasted local talent. And don't forget to check out all of our other podcasts under the 13 Palm Trees Shade. We have DND Kinda, Video Game Mythos, and Gurus of Gaming podcast. Also, if you would, head over to Wild and Wonderful podcast on your favorite podcasting app and check out their new episode featuring us. Well, me from Wasted Local Talent and Roger from Gurus of Gaming. We did an episode with them and just released yesterday. So you should definitely head over there and check that out today. And also don't forget to check out Worst Kept Secret. These guys let us use their song Bender for our podcast. And we thank them for that. You can check them out on Instagram and Facebook at Worst Kept Secret WV and search for them on Spotify, Bands in Town, iTunes Music, all that stuff. Uh, stream Bender nonstop. So whenever they get their paycheck from Spotify and stuff, it's solely because of that song. You would make my day. Oh, I almost forgot. Um, we just got word this week that uh, Pat Cole is having a baby and that he's definitely going to name that baby Bender regardless. Uh, he's actually going to change uh, the baby's last name to Bender and named the baby Bender, 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 um, just because the song is just amazing. Um, he told me that personally. He actually wrote me a handwritten letter telling me how excited he is to name his baby Bender. Um, yeah, so uh, congratulations, Pat, and um, your uh, your significant other. I don't know her name. I'm sorry. I forget. Um, something about Narnia and all that. Anyway. Before we get to the episode, um, if you would, just uh, scroll down, hit uh, subscribe, leave a comment, leave a review. Um, it helps us here with our discoverability, helps us uh, grow as a podcast. And since this uh, podcast is free promotion um, for West Virginia bands and businesses, um, you're not only helping us, but you're helping everybody who is on the show um, with their exposure as well. So if you could, uh, just give us a like, uh, subscribe. Uh, leave a five-star review or a three-star review or a one-star review, what, whatever. It doesn't, I mean, pref preferably not a one-star, but, you know, um, five stars would be great. Um, yeah, so if you could, just do that. And uh, we're going to go ahead and get to the episode. And uh, this is Jason Lennox. This is our first-ever Skype interview and our first-ever artist that isn't from uh, the area here. He's actually from a little bit north of here, uh, up in uh, Pennsylvania. But um, we met him at PopCon last year. He's a great guy. Um, so we have our first Skype interview. So bear with us through this. And uh, it's kind of an experimental thing. Um, hopefully we can do more Skype stuff in the future. Hopefully we can get it to sound a little bit better. But uh, here we go. Here's Jason.
Hey, Dan. How you doing? Good. How are you? Can you hear us? I I can. I can. What's happening, guys? Not a whole lot. What is happening? This is the first time first time we've done a Skype interview, so something new for us. Cool, guys. Cool. So, well, hopefully my kids don't storm into the room and, and trash it, but we should be good to go. Yeah, I think we'll be all right. <laughs> so, I don't know. I don't know how to introduce this one. I mean, this is something new that we've never done before. So, uh, we're actually live on Skype with uh, Jason. And uh, Jason, you're, a, you're an illustrator, correct? That is correct. And uh, what kind of art and things do you do? I, I, we talked to you at PopCon, uh, right? That's right. Yeah. Yep, that's correct, guys. We did. We talked, uh, man, that was last August at West Virginia PopCon. Mm-hmm. And are, are you actually going to, before we get started, are you going to be there this year? Well, I hope. Uh, it's a little bit of an awkward situation this year because they say they set a schedule, mm-hmm. and then our family based our planning uh, around the schedule that John gave us for the show, mm-hmm. and then it just changed. Yeah, I saw where they changed the dates uh recently so <laughs> kind so of i should be able to go but we will know for sure by the end of march cool cool yeah i, I hope that you can make it back up because i think that we're going to go ahead and get another booth this year as well and uh, we can do like a, a follow-up with you there if you're there yeah for sure i mean it's it's a great show uh it just it's one of those things that uh you know, John, John, I got clipped by the uh, venue. Uh, mm-hmm. What happened was, I guess they decided to schedule a country music hoedown the weekend that, that he had scheduled the show. Travesty. Ooh, yeah, travesty. Yeah. Uh, which I, I guess part of me says, can you just say, hey, guys, I got a better deal than you. You're out. Yeah, exactly. Um, <laughs> yeah. So, you know, John's a super guy. I think mm-hmm. he kind of got punked a little bit by the venue. Um, yeah. So I, I'm going to say I'm about 90 percent sure I'll be there this year. Uh, I'll know by the end of March. So, yes, that's the plan. Cool, cool. So uh, tell us a little bit about what you do. Uh, give us like a rundown of uh, your business and what all it entails. So uh, I do a couple different things. Um, I generate uh, I generate art. So it goes into a couple different subcategories. So um, I try to put out one comic about once a year. So what I've been doing now for the last couple of years is my science fiction uh, fantasy comic, Lords of the Cosmos. So we're working on issue three for that right now. Uh, issue one and two are out, so they're available. Okay. So that's mm-hmm. one thing that I do with my comics. Um, and then I do freelance illustration work for clients. So right now I'm working on an album cover for a client that uh, I guess should remain confidential until it's done. Cool so fun. I do projects. <laughs> it's, it's a secret. Hopefully we can talk about it in our follow-up interview in August. So okay. uh, I'm working on that right now. Um, I've done work for... Uh, a company called Off White, who's a fashion company in Italy. Um, so I just had a piece of art uh, in Paris. Uh, it was in a Paris runway show for their their clothing uh, late last year, early this year. So Damn. I have that going on. It's kind of another kind of uh, completely different uh, segment of what I do. And That's... then uh, I make a lot of mythology artwork, which is a whole other uh, segment as time allows. And then I have uh, a whole other uh I guess subcategory of mm-hmm. occult and satanic art that I do. Mm-hmm. And, uh, one of the things that I'm hoping that that goes to is, uh, making a satanic coloring book. 
Oh, wow. <laughs> yes. <laughs> that would be. Yes. <laughs> I just had a meeting with uh, an offset printer about that, and I was shocked with uh, the, the pricing I could get to make a black and white coloring book. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure when that's going to happen. I'm thinking maybe by the end of this year, early next year for that. Um, I have a couple things I have to button up with that project. So, you know, th- those are the, the basic you know, project revenue stream mm-hmm. things that, that uh, I create. I do about a dozen comic book shows a year. So mm-hmm. I get out and try to do that. Um, but that's, that's kind of generally, you know, what I do and, uh, my general business model. Cool. That satanic coloring book sounds really interesting. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. Yeah. Well, I, for one, yeah no. I for one love that. Yeah. <laughs> I've been, I've been putting out uh, satanic and occult artwork for, I don't know, the better part of the last three years. And there's, there's so much of it now. And a lot of it people see in black and white. Mm-hmm. And then they're like, can I, will that be a coloring book? And you have to, I, I, I try to walk a fine line. I don't like people just to start telling me what to do. Like I'm a trained chimp. Yeah. Uh, but at the same time, it is important to listen to what the market's telling you. And I've mm-hmm. had people say that so much that I've kind of taken it to heart to say, you know, if this many people are saying it, it's probably not a bad idea. Yeah. They're going to buy it easily. Yeah. Yeah. I think yeah, it's a sure. really like neat idea. I mean, it's you know, like a lot of artists and illustrators and stuff that do their own stuff, but to actually put out almost like an interactive, it's something that they can interact with, with your own art, like a coloring book is really cool. Um, uh, and it makes it, it well, kind of cheeky and fun. Yeah. It's like you can put the satanic drawing that you colored with vibrant crayo- you <laughs> yeah. know, Crayola crayons <laughs> up on your refrigerator, yeah. and it, it makes it fun. So, you know, right now with that, it's, it's in a, a state of almost completion because there's so much of that material that, that's just done and sitting in digital folders. And I sell colored prints of a lot of that it shows. Mm-hmm. But you know, then the idea is can you, can you put it together – and are the sum are, are the sum of the parts you know greater than they are all individually? And, and I think in this case they are. And, and I think you know the fans uh, with their comments, I think they're right. So mm-hmm. and like I said, I, I was curious when I met with this offset printer the, uh, last week. Well, how much does this cost? Is it realistic? And yeah. after I met with the general manager uh, at KB Offset and State College, I was like, yeah, I was like, th- this seems very very plausible. Um, yeah, so I'm I'm hoping that that's another thing that, that I have going on. So so there you go. There's a kind of a, a very well, and actually there's one other thing that I've been doing. Mm-hmm. Um, I've, I've been making a lot of, uh, I guess, art based on fiction. Um, so I've been doing a lot of animal farm artwork in the last couple months too. So Ooh, that's, that's awesome. a good one. Yeah, that's a good one. <laughs> so is yeah, that- so a lot a lot of pigs in suits and pigs walking dogs. <laughs> It's like watching Jed walk his dog. Oh, <laughs> there it is. Had to throw a joke in there, but so is this the first first coloring book that you've that you've done? Yeah, I've never done one before. I, I'll be honest. Thing. I thought I at first when people were saying it, I thought the whole idea was stupid, and mm-hmm. then I, and then I started to understand that the adult coloring book market is whether I think it's stupid or not is hugely popular. Mm-hmm. And the other thing that I found that is the more niche you make your material. Um, the more popular it is, and, and there have been some fabulous successes with adult coloring books. So I, I kind of hmm. tempered my attitude from that stupid to that's a pretty good idea. Yeah. Uh, and I did some homework. I actually went on Amazon to see if this has been done like 800 times. And the interesting thing is, is that uh, it's only been done once, and the guy that did it 
Um, and you can go Google it on Amazon. Um, it's about the laziest effort. All he did was he went to like a lot of popular horror films and just screen cap stuff and put a black and white filter on it. Oh, really? Oh, that's weak. Yeah. You're going to kill it. You're going to, you're going to blow that out of the water, man. That's weak. And I think people were buying it thinking that they were going to get something really cool. Mm -hmm. They didn't even know what, but they thought I'm, I want to be excited. I want to see something original. Yeah. From what people were saying was that all it was was like, hey, I'll, I'll just freeze frame Rosemary's Baby on my computer, screen cap it, and throw it on a Photoshop filter. Yeah. Which is, one, it's totally unoriginal. Uh, two, uh, it's probably not that good for coloring if you, you know, even if you did freeze frame movies and just clip it, mm -hmm. uh, it's not. You want to have really sharp line work to do that. Oh, yeah, yeah. And not just here's a picture of the lady from, you know, Exorcist screaming with a filter where it's just a lot of the gray tones and just black masses. So Yeah. It's almost that'd be like almost as bad as like the the coloring books that they have for Star Wars where it's a stormtrooper and Darth Vader. It's like what the fuck are you supposed to do with that? <laughs> like, like get out of here. Can't color this. It's already colored. <laughs> yeah. So Right. So no, that's that's what's up. I mean, it's not it's 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 a very strong concept in my head, um, and I, I do believe that unless something horrible happens to me, uh, it will happen. Mm -hmm. um, I have a couple pieces of art to do, uh, and then I guess kind of on an aside to that, um, I enjoy Twitter. I think Twitter is a very exciting place. If you guys aren't on Twitter, it's pretty fun. Mm -hmm. And uh, I was approached uh, by a lady uh, from Seattle named Lady Vi, and you can look her up if you if you're feeling adventurous. And mm -hmm. she's gutting part of her house uh, slash uh, workspace to put a satanic worship area in her home, and uh, like she open to the public. Uh, I guess if well, I, you know what, I don't know. I, mm -hmm. I, I can't answer. I, I don't know. But she reached out to me and said, "You're." She said, "I googled satanic stained glass, and you're the top guy in like the whole world." You're oh, wow. Which so that made me laugh. And then uh, she commissioned me to make a piece for her space mm -hmm. at her home. Uh, so, and I asked her. I said, "Well, look, I have a pretty good idea what you want. Can we put it in the coloring book?" And you know, she was like, "Well, hell yeah!" <laughs> and. <Sweet>. Uh, <laughs> So you do stained glass work as well? Yeah, if you look at a lot of my satanic mm. uh, stuff, like I, I've been plunking uh, creatures and characters into these kind of like vague environments with like satanic stained glass as kind of like the elements in the background, like they're in some kind of church. Okay. So yeah, and then I, I just did a big piece that was thirty-four inches square, where there's where there's a big uh, coat of arms for the devil. I did a bunch of research on heraldry and, and created a satanic coat of arms, which again there was only. One guy I found in the whole world that even really took a stab at it, who's a really talented guy called Paul Bomber, and, and uh, he, he had made uh, a satanic coat of arms about eight years ago, and I let him show, I let him see what I was making, and he was like, "Dude, I think it's great, man. Hmm. It's awesome. You know, good job, hell Satan." So, <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, no, so all those things are going to be in there. But this lady had reached out; she was super sweet. And uh, she bought a whole bunch of church furniture from, I guess, a demo church job. Mm -hmm. And she is going to have a satanic place of worship at her house. Is it open to the public? I don't know. But uh, I know that uh, I've been commissioned to do some uh, new original artwork. And uh, I think that's going to be the final piece for the coloring book. Once We'll put that in the coloring book as like the last, like the last uh, puzzle piece, so to speak. That would be really cool. Full circle. Yeah. yeah. You don't really hear a lot about, I mean, well, color books in general, like from artists and the whole satanic side of thing, like the taboo side of things is, 
you know, something that I, I don't really know too much about, but I think it's like a really interesting take on art, especially if you're being commissioned to do like stained glass for somebody's, you know, I'm, I'm assuming that if she's building this, it's going to be open, not probably not to the public, but to like people that she knows. Um, I think it's a really cool, yep. like, you know, concept to it. And I wonder if they'd put like in the back of the pews, your coloring book right there for anybody who comes to visit them. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> have to let her hear this. There you go, yeah. <laughs> maybe, that, maybe she'll do that. But uh, yeah, no, so it's, I mean, one of the things that I tell people, and I'd mentioned this to a friend of mine that does art, I said a lot of what I do, it's, I'm like a farmer, I try to rotate crops. So mm-hmm. when I do my devil art, um, that's, a, that's a whole different vibe, it's a different feeling um, versus my book art versus my mythology art versus my Lords of the Cosmos art, because mm-hmm. I, I tend to get sick of any one of those things after yeah. a while. So it's nice to, you know, switch it up, uh, to talk about like, you know, your, my weird science fiction, Lords of the Cosmos world versus, Hey, let's talk about like these weird devil creatures and their mm-hmm. kind of environment because each one of these worlds, the more I make, they're more immersive. And, you know, one of the things that was funny with the animal farm stuff is uh, it's very not fantastic. It's a lot of farm buildings and, and animals that you see every day, mm-hmm. but then trying to put kind of a weird, uh, either menacing or violent spin on them. So one of the things that I got sucked into was that uh, there's the seven laws of animalism, right? And this is the exciting fan art. Other people are drawing Black Panther and Groot. I'm drawing George <laughs> Orwell. But like animalism <laughs> has seven laws. So it's like animals shall not drink alcohol is one of them. And uh, so one of the things that I wanted to do was to draw, you know, all the animalism rules being basically lampooned by activities of the animals. So okay. for the yeah. thou shalt not drink alcohol, mm-hmm. I really wanted to draw uh, one of the pigs walking a dog because they have dogs in the book, mm-hmm. but kind of like a world after the book of Animal Farm. And I tried to draw a distillery and it stumped me because drawing barrel after barrel on racks was one of the hardest things I ever did. And I actually <laughs> I called uncle. I couldn't do it. Mm-hmm. Uh, so then I started going full hillbilly on the internet and I started researching homemade stills. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, I, I ended up drawing, uh, a, a outdoor whiskey distillery with the, this dog and this pig, uh, and then a big outbuilding with the, uh, rules scrawled with paint on the, on the building. And, and I find those things to be refreshing because they're just very simple. They're very not fantastic. Um, but Getting sucked into the world of hillbilly whiskey manufacturing was fascinating, and I had a young lady that was from Kentucky that uh, talked to me in January at a comic show in Pennsylvania, and she looked at it and said, "That's a whiskey still," and she goes, "That's that's pretty damn realistic." She's like Kentucky, we have that stuff around us, and I was like, "Crap!" I'm like a real, a real Southern person looked at this and identified <laughs> it as a still. I'm glad that that was so, Kentucky yeah. and not West Virginia because <laughs> we get that stigma all the time. Virginia, <laughs> but. <laughs> uh, but no, it's it's fun to kind of rotate into those things in the in the animal farm stuff, especially is is very much kind of like uh, cleansing the palate where you're just basically drawing animals at mm-hmm. a farm. But again, there's there's kind of a twisted, uh, menacing undertone to all of that, which is fun, mm-hmm. you know, versus, you know, my comic book, Lords of the Cosmos, which is just, you know, fantastic, weird stuff stacked on fantastic, weird stuff. And it's very uh, kind of dark 80s sensibility, you know, again. So it's it's fun to switch all those things up and, and just to keep keeps me fresh. Yeah. So as far as your art goes, do you do um you do do you draw by hand and do like Photoshop things or how like how's your 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 process of creating? <clears throat> so what I try to do is do everything by hand. Mm-hmm. Um, I've tried to learn to use Photoshop as kind of a, a helping tool where for example 
if I'm making things that are really big, I will f- make them small on paper and scan them and play with them on a virtual large board, which okay. is really cool because it helps me try to figure out where stuff should go. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then I used to hand ink just about everything. And then we had a, a, a second child four years ago. And while he's a wonderful little boy, he's very nonproductive to getting work done. <laughs> <laughs> kind of hit a point then where I realized that I only had so much time and I had less of it. So uh, at this point, I do work with with digital anchors. Uh, One is in Spain and the other is in Mexico, where I typically will finish things to a certain point with pencils and then Mm -hmm. I'll send them high resolution scans to uh, take it from there. And then I work with several digital colorists to, to color it from there. Uh, If I had more time, it would be probably more fun to hand ink everything. But, uh, as I would tell anyone, there is a real issue of, of you know, uh, the most valuable resource we have is time. And mm-hmm. you have to really look at it partially to say, if I have so many hours in a week uh, and in a month, I can either make four things fully in pencil or one and a half in ink. Yeah. You pick. Mm-hmm. And, you know, some people are, are going to say, no, you should do everything yourself. Um, and that's cool. Um, and then other people would say the traditional comic book model says you have a pencil or you have an inker, you have a letter and a colorist and working as a team, uh, is about speed and efficiency. And there's nothing wrong with that. Um, you know, obviously as long as you're crediting people for their work, which, which obviously, you know, I, I do do that. So, um, I've, I've chosen the route to say, I will take what little time I have to make as many things as possible. And Mm -hmm. if I have to rely on others to help me finish, uh, so be it. Uh, to me, that's more important than saying, well, I did half the amount of work this year, but I did everything. Yeah. <clears throat> well, and you uh, also kind of, you strike me as somebody who needs a lot of things going on at once. Cause you, you sound like you're juggling quite a few, uh, quite a few tasks. And as you said, if you stick with one of them for too long, you kind of get tired of it and you have to move on. So it's it is. It's an interesting comment you make there, um, and I'll, I'll attempt to clarify. I do have a lot of things going on, but at the same time, I do try to employ a very systematic uh, organization method to, to really only be working on one, maybe two projects at the same time because if you get too many things started before they're finished, I find you get into a quagmire where nothing gets done. Yeah, I've been there. So what I do <laughs> – simple as I keep a legal tablet on my drafting board where I have the next 10 projects that I want to do. Mm-hmm. And I just cross them off at the top. And then I have an idea book with hundreds of ideas in it. And then as something goes off the top 10 list, I will pull something out of the idea book. Okay. Uh, because if, again, if you get slugged into too many things, you will hit a point where nothing's getting done. Mm-hmm. You know, one thing people will say about me is like, you, you always get things finished. And uh, it, it is key to get things done where it's not like, well, I've got 10 things that I've got cooking. Yeah. Um, I like to just get things complete. So when I have all these projects, whether it's comic books, coloring books, whatever, whatever, um, they're all they're all in a queue to get done in a certain order. So uh, in my mind, there's different goals to hit. But right now, my goal is to finish this album cover because it's been going on uh, longer than I had originally anticipated uh, due to some reworks on it. Uh, and then after that, I have to, to dig down into uh, this commission for this lady in Seattle. And then I have to immediately get back to getting our comic book issue three to the point where it's going to be done. Okay. So in my mind, that's really kind of where, you know, it's like focus on this, get it done, focus on this, get it done, focus on this, get it done. Uh, because, again, if, unless you have unlimited time, you have to be very careful to not get your 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 uh, 
your involvement in too many things. You have to focus on completion. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> yeah, and, uh, I'm not a very creative person myself, but <laughs> I can imagine that working on the different types of projects that you are that artistically are just so significantly different from each other that if you were to work on too many of those at once, I could see kind of the creativity bleeding into the other projects and then maybe kind of blurring the lines of how they differ from each other. Yeah, that's a good point. And and one thing that I've picked up on over the years, and uh, it's something that, that I, 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 I grow tired of, of artists that I see that they'll just do the same thing. Mm-hmm, right. Um, and you can even catch guys that are pretty famous doing the same basic thing, even down to like composition mm-hmm. and like content where they're just doing the same thing over and over and over and over again. And, it, it can be smart where they've, they've hit a chord where if they do a certain thing, people like it and the, the, the masses can reward that. Um, and, and I get that, but I, I find it to be creatively dead just to do the same thing. So it, yeah. it is fun to challenge yourself to say, I've never drawn, you know, fill in the blank, a tractor, a crab, a spider or whatever that is. And, and to force yourself just to not draw the same, well, like drawing a guy with a sword from the same point of view over you know well okay could you do something else so um i do also like to mix it up just to challenge myself so i'm not doing the same thing Mm -hmm. and it it can lead to problems because when you move out of your comfort zone in new territory um it can get pretty pretty tough one of the hardest things that i got involved with uh last year was uh i did uh a big poster for uh, a friend for a project that had a uh, submarine in it. Mm-hmm. And I got involved with drawing a World War II era German submarine. And that was one of the hardest things that I've ever gotten involved with to the point where I actually bought a model, a physical model. And then I ended up buying a 3D rendered model of the submarine. Oh, wow. And uh, they're some of the most complicated machines, yes, I are. think. They're crazy. And, and, uh, you know, and then putting it in an underwater environment, and I'm really in love with the finished product. But it was very difficult, and it really took me out of my comfort zone. Mm-hmm. But that—that that was the point to to kind of mix it up. And even while I was creating it, uh, I was kind of like sucked into this whole world where I was watching Das Boot and listening to like German music because I was really trying to put my <laughs> things where where like it was like we we are we are with the German Navy, mm-hmm. and then uh, the way my brain works is I was like completely immersed in this whole like you know. German Navy submarines, like whatever. And then when I finished it, my brain just kind of like dumped it and I kind of exited that world. Yeah. Uh, and, and you move on to something else, but it, it, it is difficult to, again, if you tried to blur too much of that, because to me, I guess it's kind of like method acting where it's like, if you're going to do this, like really try to like get into the, that, get into that space. If you're, you know, if you're doing science fiction stuff, you know, maybe listen to some futuristic music, sit and read content that's similar, get your head in the right space. And it, it isn't easy just to like get in and out of that because when you're mm-hmm. in it, you're in it. Yeah. That is, it's very rewarding though, right? I mean, I know in my field of work, um, working in IT, one of my favorite things is being able to take on a system um, that I've never handled before and kind of learn the ins and outs of it and figure out how to use it. So I imagine that as an artist, finding a a style or an object that you know you've never drawn and then being able to immerse yourself in it and come up with a, a final product that you're as satisfied with as you are that has to be extremely rewarding 
Well, it is. Um, it, it's uh, it, it's 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 a huge it's a huge excitement to get it done, especially when people like it. Um, the, the the hard part is going through it and screaming and tearing things apart, <laughs> uh, you know, putting work in. And, and with that project in particular, the art was set in the Pacific Ocean, and mm-hmm. uh, I, I had originally done it, and I put it in a World War II group that I was kind of chit chatting with about it, mm-hmm. and on Facebook, and this guy chimes in, and he said, "Well, you know, you've drawn a Type Seven a U-boat, and those are what's called an Atlantic Wolf Pack. And if this is set in the Pacific Ocean, they would use a Type Nine, which is a totally different vehicle. Oh wow! So what you've drawn is wrong. And I was like, I was like, oh man, really? And I went and looked it up, and everything the guy said was right. And then yep. I stared at it for like three days, and then I destroyed it, and then I, huh. I redid it with this whole new submarine, which is like twice as complicated. I didn't know they had different submarines for different oceans. That's weird. Well, that. Well, again, let's let's go down that rabbit yeah. hole. It's <laughs> you know, World War II uh, mm-hmm. podcast. There's like 39 types of U-boats, and they were mm-hmm. like for whatever. And the one, the one that went to the Pacific Ocean had like larger engines, uh, and it also further. had aircraft yeah. guns in the top because it had to resurface to to do things on the surface, like with fuel and oxygen or whatever. So it was important that it couldn't get shot at without being able to fire back. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, because if I remember I, correctly, uh, the Germans were actually blockaded from taking their normal route to the Pacific Ocean, and I think they had to go an alternative way, which was significantly longer. Are you the guy from that Facebook page? Seriously, what's going on? <laughs> <laughs> no, I just... 39 types, so you're just like, isn't there like a submarine? They're like, no, they had 39 kinds, and it was really <laughs> um, You start falling down these rabbit holes, and then you know people are picking you apart, saying, well, that's not right. And uh, yeah, so I mean, like, you, you kind of wear it like a badge of honor. Like, I survived, I survived my adventure <laughs> with the, the German, the German Navy for two months. Yeah. And like, uh, I, I, maybe I, oh, they'll mail me a campaign ribbon <clears throat> for, for successfully completing it. But seriously, I mean, I, whatever you would, you know, you, you hit it right in the head. You know, if you master a new app or a program, um, there, there is, there is a satisfaction in, in mastering something new. And, mm-hmm. and there's a lot of pride in that if, if you're if you're an actual creator. And it, you could be a creator of dance. You could be doing art. You could be doing IT. I think it's just the challenge that you appreciate. Mm-hmm. Yeah, otherwise it just gets stale oh, and yeah. then you just lose interest. I noticed that with music. Like I'm, I write a lot of music and it's the same the same way. Like I get stuck in this funk where like every song I'll start kind of the same way. And, you know, it'll have the same kind of build up into a chorus or whatever and then end kind of the same way. Then I'll listen back through like all these 10, 15 songs that I've written and it's like the same format and listening to them back to back. It's, it's like listening to the same song, whether it's in a different key or not, it's the same structure and it gets old and stagnant. So from any form of like art, I can definitely see that, you know, sticking with something, you know, and doing the same pro like the process over and over and over again would get, you know, stagnant. And I've seen a lot of artists do the same thing that commission their art that you ask them like, Hey, could you do it? Like, like, I love your art style, but could you do this? And they're like, no, I, I don't know how to do it like that. It's like, you know, you see a lot of people that, that are stuck in that, like their comfort zone and it's tough for them to get out of it because they're not used to, to having to do that. So it's kind of cool to see somebody that's, that's willing to actually go out of their comfort zone to try new things and actually do the research to make it better. And I think that's awesome. Well, yeah, it, it's one of those things that uh, sometimes it can be sad because you can put a pile of effort into some of these things and then uh, people are just like, do you have a, do you have a drawing of Deadpool eating a taco? Yeah. <laughs> so, so, there, so there's kind of a sad disconnect in like higher end creativity 
and then kind of like the the quote unquote lowbrow masses. Yeah, where, where they they often can they will oftentimes reward the worst kind of material. So if you watch comic conventions for a long time, there's a weird, almost like secret logic to them where I mean, there's people that just straight up plagiarize stuff. And, oh, the, yeah. and people are just like, oh my God, can I throw money at you harder? Mm-hmm. <laughs> <And> yeah. <laughs> that's people that are really doing some neat stuff and like no one cares. Mm-hmm. And I'm not saying that's always the case, but there's a lot of eye rolling that I see at these shows where I'm just like, what is going on? And I've yeah. seen that for years to the point. <clears throat> I'm just kind of tuned out to it, but uh, you, you can see it even at the smallest shows where there's some real eye rolling stuff. And it's interesting. You guys have picked up on that with arts where it's like, like this is just what I do. And like, it's kind of like churned out assembly line. They're mm-hmm. not like deep diving into some of this stuff. Um, but you know, they, they may not have the time. They may not have the resources mm-hmm. to do it. I mean, I, I mean, full disclosure, I have a full-time job in the heating and cooling industry. So this isn't my full-time job. So mm-hmm. it does give freedom to slow down and do things that kind of a, uh, a more slow academic pace versus like I have to get this done or they're going to turn my power off. So yeah, yeah. I, I do do I, I do respect that you got to look at everyone's situation. And if you have a guy that like this is like his only source of income and it's just like I got to do this or I'm not going to eat. Mm-hmm. Um, I you, you can't bang him too hard, but dude, if I can I can draw these Deadpool taco things really fast and people buy them, so why should I learn anything else? Yeah. Uh, I get it. Where do you like? Do you have to like run into any kind of like copyright stuff with that? Like have you ever found yourself in a situation like where somebody's commissioned you to do something like so mainstream that you'd have to actually get like a, you know, any kind of licensing to do it? Or is it, you know, I don't know. (laughs) I was going to say, I don't know if you want to like, you know, put that out there, you know, for people to say, cause you know, know. the only time I ever got questioned on that and it was Mm -hmm. once was, um, when I opened my Etsy store or whatever, like a year, a year ago, Mm -hmm. I just put all the fan art prints that I, I put all my art on there. Yeah. And, uh, I guess it was, uh, well, I won't say the name, but a large animation company, I guess they just do sweeps mm-hmm. on, uh, on, uh, Etsy. And I won't say which animated property, but I had heard people say that this one in particular people will hit on. Uh, and they just said, they just sent me a thing saying like, we, we, we are questioning this. You can't have this. So, mm-hmm. I, so at, at that point, I just pulled anything that wasn't original Jason stuff off of Etsy, which was about a half a dozen, nah, maybe about a dozen pieces. Mm-hmm. I just pulled them off. Um, nothing came of it except I got, they just sent me an email saying, we're, we're just saying you can't do this. Yeah. <clears throat> cease and desist. Yeah. It, it, it was basically a very gentle cease and desist, um, which I was cool with that. Um, and and I'll, I'll give you my quick take on that question because it, it's, it's a good one. So in the world of amateur to pro art, um, if you look at like the the people that are closer to amateur and farther away from pro, they will tend to have almost exclusively fan art. Hey, here's Darth Vader. Hey, you know, here's Deadpool. Here's Black Panther. Mm-hmm. Uh, here's Groot. Typically, go for whatever's popular. Yeah, uh, and they kind of get a little bit of fake heat because they'll move material because right. people, are like, hey man, I, I love Groot. What's popular? You know, Killmonger. You know, Captain Marvel will be a popular film. And I think you'll see a ton of Captain Marvel fan art, which you never saw any. When was the last time you saw any? None. But yeah. Marvel, <laughs> that film, and it looks like a good movie, and I mm-hmm. think it'll be popular. And you'll see a lot of people grinding out very basic Captain Marvel uh, fan art. Um, 
and here here's the dirty truth you could have as much fan art as a con- at a convention as you've ever wanted i've never heard of anyone being told hey Marvel's here. They said hi, that Captain America art. <laughs> yeah, so, yeah. You can pretty much do that unabated, mm-hmm. and no one cares. Um, then there are some artists that hit a point where they're like, dude, that's weak. I don't want to have anything that's not mine. Mm-hmm. I want to sell based on me as a brand. Um, and I'm going to destroy his name, but he's a very nice man. Uh, Jamal Eagle or Eagle? Does that ring a bell? No. Uh uh-uh. uh. No. Mm mm. It's a J-A-M-A-L, and his last name is I-G-L-E. And I met him once. He was a very sweet person. He's very polite, very nice. And, and I apologize if he hears this because I, I know I just shredded his name up. But Jamal <laughs> had put a thing out on his uh, blog a couple years ago basically saying, I'm not going to have any fan art unless it's my property or I've worked on it in an official capacity. Uh, I'm only going to sell Jamal Eigel stuff. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I really thought, you know, this guy really, he's paid his dues. He's hes worked doing this stuff forever. His stuff's really, really good. And he's basically saying, I'm going to make less money now, but to me it's more important to, at this point, only promote me. I don't need a crutch, which is really what, what fan art is. It's a crutch. Yeah. Um, I tipped my cap. I thought, this guy's pretty cool. I mean, he actually has enough balls to stand behind himself as a brand to say, I don't need Groot, Darth Vader, Deadpool, the taco, and whatever. And when you see Jamal... Uh, you know that Jamal's basically promoting Jamal. Yeah. Um, now, all that being said, um, I still have fan art. Um, I do. Um, however, I try to like skew mine more towards like bizarre, obscure things. Mm-hmm. So, like my fan art, and and I probably have about I don't know thirty pieces that I still bring to shows. It's fan art, but it's more like uh, obscure '80s films like The Fly. Um, mm-hmm. They live. Um, all my animal farm art, which I guess is fan art, but that newsflash, that becomes public domain next year. So I guess anyone can <laughs> <Yeah>. have, <laughs> uh, you know, I, I have like do androids dream electric sheep fan art, RoboCop fan art. My fan art tends to skew into like these bizarre nooks and crannies that I really like. I do have a Thanos thing that I made for a person that I've sold as a print for years. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think I've hit the point where I can get rid of those things, but at this point, oddly, my biggest sellers now at shows, if we just want to talk art and popular, um, I made three little cats with satanic pentagrams behind them and satanic symbols. Those things have blown away everything else that I sell now. (laughs) Cat Um, people. So so Mm. I've really, really tried to to do as, as much original art and back away from the fan art as much as I can and like I said, even the fan art that I'm burning out now is like, is Animal Farm really even fan art? Yeah. It's, <laughs> you know, mm. it's, it's from a, a, you know, whatever, a 70-year-old book. Yeah. So, you know, again, has anyone ever clipped me on it and said, by God, Jason, the RoboCop rights holder said, you can't have that. <laughs> yeah. uh, just that one time on Etsy. And I think the big animation companies, from what I've heard, are pretty damn serious about that stuff. And I guess they do prowl a lot of those sites looking for it, and they just hit out C&Ds. Whereas, like, U.S. publishers, the only one I'd ever heard of was – and I can't think of the guy – Adam Hughes. I had heard that Adam Hughes was doing Wonder Woman covers, and he was doing limited edition prints at shows. And I guess it was just, like, insanely popular and – I guess it was so it was so profitable that I guess DC had to have a talk about saying, "Hey, you got to cut us back in." So oh, I wow. heard. But again, 
if, if that's true, which I believe it to be true, mm-hmm. uh, he's a super big name, and maybe he was making a tremendous amount of money. And it's like, okay, at that point, DC was like, dude, if you're making tens of thousands of dollars every weekend off this stuff, maybe you got to slice us in on the till because we're already paying you to make these for our coverage. I had heard that a couple years ago, mm-hmm. and I'm like, okay, so that's that, that's the point you piss these guys off, where it's like <laughs> you're, you're making like crazy, crazy money off their stuff that they've already paid you for in a big official release and so. Yeah. So there was my big lengthy answer to a very simple. <laughs> you know, I like that description though because I like I, fan art. Uh, some fan art I get into, but the the fan art that always really grabs me is whenever somebody will take fan art and then instead of just you know, oh here's the Green Power Ranger, like they'll take it and they'll make it their own. Like some of my favorite uh, fan mm-hmm. art prints that I bought at a con, and it, I'm gonna laugh if it's if i bought them from you because it's very possible (laughs) um but it was they were pokemon prints Mm. and it was like whoever it was i can't remember who it was that did it now um but he had taken them and just made them like real creepy like really disturbing and creepy looking but they you could obviously tell what they were like Mm. this is a charizard this is a blastoise this is Mm. mewtwo but they were just it looked like if you know Tim Burton were to make a Pokemon movie, that's what these things would look like. <laughs> that should be a thing. Yeah, and, and here's the thing: like I, I love Blade Runner, and a oh, couple yeah. years ago, oh, yeah. there was this, uh, there was a guy selling these really unique Blade Runner posters that he'd made, and I have one. I'm looking at it right now because she's staring at me. It's Pris <laughs> holding a doll, and she's like kind of crouched over, and it's just a really well done thing. So, like again, I'm not gonna sit here and say if you do fan art, you're bad, and I would never buy. Like, dude, I like <laughs> fan art too. Um, but again, it is a great question about what is what is the deal with copyright, and have you ever gotten scolded? There, there may come a day where DC or Marvel will get angry for whatever reason, uh, <clears throat> maybe because of Disney, and <laughs> yeah, very likely, <laughs> very likely, very likely. <laughs> What they may do is they just may go hit some of these huge comic cons like Emerald City and New York and San Diego and hit a couple artists with C and Ds and be like, if we catch anyone selling Batman stuff, we're going to sue. Yeah, and you got to think now, too about you know what's what is the uh, the input to output there because to send somebody to these cons to in person go around to these prints and determine you know what is considered to be copyright and what isn't. It takes a lot more work, a lot more effort, probably a lot more money than just creating an internet crawler to, you know, crawl through these well-known websites and look for certain things. Sure. But again, I'm just trying to give you my overly seats because of the submarine training, right? It's like, you <laughs> asked, like, we're going into like, well, let's talk about the legal ramifications of sending an attorney. <laughs> but uh, I mean, ultimately, you know, what I find more interesting with artists, and I, I try to judge myself to this, is how much stuff are you doing that if all that stuff went away, what would you have left? You know, and to me, if you're like, well, I wouldn't have anything, it kind of tells me you're not really creative. Like, go make up your own ideas. Like, what is your idea? You know, and that's that's a question I would ask any writer or artist to say, like, tell me about your idea. Like, what 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 do you have in your brain that excites you? Yeah. And why should it excite me? Which I guess this is a part of the interview where, where I slam you guys and say, "Have you done your homework and read all your Lords of the Cosmos PDF comics? Have you done that?" <laughs> so we actually, uh, on purpose, never do homework. That's actually one oh. of our things. Yeah, good. 
we 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 like to know well i do uh, i think daniel probably does the most homework out of any of us but personally yep. i like to do the least amount of homework whatsoever usually my homework like just today consists of when i'm sitting down in the chair i say okay who are we interviewing and what do they do he likes to say it's Oops. homework but he's just lazy so <laughs> uh yeah i try to know as little as possible because i feel like it gives me uh more of a fresh take on the interview and it lets me organically come up with questions as we mm-hmm. go through yeah we, we so I, I, so I guess I'll dial it back. Is that that's like the greatest built-in uh, excuse ever? I have to try that. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I'm more than happy to sit and filibuster about my comic book. But if, if any of you actually read it yet, and if so, do you have questions or just a comment? And then I can just tell I can tell you about it, and, and I can do your homework for you. I haven't. I, I I don't think that I have. I don't know if I've got him here. I know we've got a bunch of stuff from the PopCon, but I don't know if any of the stuff that we have is your so, work, honestly. So my job has got to be to give you like a little elevator speech to get you excited. Then I'll yeah. show you all the PDFs. Yeah. How about yes. that? Yeah, that sounds good. Beautiful. So I've been burning out comic books now since 2011, just a lot of like short stories and kind of one-off things. And then I had an idea uh, after I looked at DC's relaunch of Masters of the Universe, which, for the record, I thought was abysmal. I hated it with a burning <laughs> fire, thousand suns. Uh, and I just started working out in my head, like, how cool would it be uh, if I could work on Masters of the Universe, which the chances of that happening are, are probably zero. Mm-hmm. Um, I reached out to a buddy of mine around tw- 2013-ish, saying, hey, um, what if we got together and started throwing something that would be like a concept idea for a genre piece like masters of the universe. And his name was Jason Palmatier. So he's a great, he's a great guy. Cause we have the same name. It's easy to always remember his name. <laughs> and then he said, well, Hey, could we, uh, we bring my buddy in on this? Cause he's a super eighties nerd. And he, he actually does TV stuff in Los Angeles. And I said, sure. And his name's Dennis Fallon. And then over the course of 20, uh, 13 and 14 we just started just basically just kind of spitballing an idea together and uh we called it lords of the cosmos which we just wrote masters of the universe on a sheet of paper and pulled a thesaurus out and just started like getting alternate words yeah (laughs) we wanted it to be like like that Mm -hmm. and then we just started really talking about what 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 was it what was that genre and we started to look at things that we felt were similar like masters of the universe uh thunder of the barbarian uh what else? Flash Gordon, the old classic uh, oh, yeah. 30s. Oh, yeah. Flash Gordon. We said this is this is really a genre called science fiction barbarian because there's this this kind of like futuristic magic kind of adventure feel to all those properties. And uh, so we just started saying, well, what? Well, now what? And then I uh, I sat down and this was at Wizard World Philadelphia 2014. And uh, I just started making up logos. Like there was a hero logo and a villain logo, and then I designed a, a very '80s looking creature to be the main bad guy, kind of the, the Skeletor, you know, trope. Yeah. And then once we had that, we just these two guys started to build a bible of characters, and they just said, "Here's a whole bunch of villains and a whole bunch of heroes," just kind of like just filling in slots, like on the back of a toy checklist. And mm-hmm. I spent a lot of time just making these big pinups of all these creatures. And people and characters and kind of godlike entities. And we said, oh, cool. Now we have like 15 pinups of like all these things, like doing stuff and like kind of being in their little groups. 
And then in a horrible uh, creative, you know, you would always say this is the worst way to do it. I just started building comic book pages around these pinups, which with no script. And we just started just kind of pushing out with, with no story, no, no script. Um, outside of we had this idea, we had an ending. Like, that's all we had was like a two-page ending. Like, okay. We're like, this is where we're going to go. It, page, we're the reverse of Lost. We had nothing on the front. <laughs> <laughs> and we started just saying, let's just kind of make this work. And uh, mm. we worked and worked and worked. And then uh, we had all these ideas, too many ideas that like we talked about before. And we started pushing towards making Lords of the Cosmos 1 in 2016. And uh, we had so many ideas in the back end that we started bringing other artists and writers to start kind of filling out the spaces we didn't have time for. And then when that book came out, we basically used half the pinups to kind of like be the character intro around a very loose story of like this world called Aiden that we just started kind of mishmashing together like Eternia. Mm -hmm. And we started launching this main story and then that issue had three additional stories kind of like doing these little spotlight tales of, you know, some of the creatures uh, that were involved in it. And the feedback on that book um, has been, I'll be fair. It's been mixed. Some people really love it. Some people are like, there was too many pinups in the first story. And I didn't like that. And they're like, mm-hmm. all right, well, yeah, here's the backwards creative process we did. Um, but we just said, we got to keep going. And uh, cause we loved it so much. And yeah. the more we worked on it and the more we involved other people, we really started seeing a bigger vision for it. And, uh, you know, to be totally honest, like we, we gave a lot of people a very big blank sheet of paper and like a Rorschach test, all the writers and letterers and artists and colorists that started asking a lot of questions. And we took a lot of their comments and questions to heart and started building out a, a Bible and a bigger story and, and, uh, plots, uh, and story points started coming organically from all these people, literally Rorschach testing the eighties oh, wow. from our point of view. <laughs> and then we did the second issue, which came out, uh, it came out in, uh, right around the time for West Virginia PopCon last year. So I had issue mm-hmm. two and one with me and, uh, same thing. It had another 20 pages of this kind of like main story. Uh, and then, uh, we had three more stories kind of fleshing out more and more of the world flashbacks and, and looks at like origins of different characters. And right now we're working on issue three and, uh, it's, it's in a partial state of completion and, uh, I need to, to finish up these other loose ends and get back to that. But, uh, you know, basically the general gist of it is that the first issue starts where these, the world is kind of in this new, new kind of gentle peace. And all the villains have just started to come back from like this war that happened about eight years ago. And their leader, uh, this guy that I designed at Wizard World, just starts to wake up. And he he's like, we have to uh, press on and we have to destroy the world, mm-hmm. but we can't do it until we pull out the good guys. And then the second issue is them basically uh, waging a war of uh, atrocities and attrition on all the civilians they can to try to bait these guys out. Because the Lords of the Cosmos, through issues one and two, have shown up in about three panels with like their lower level guys like on the run and so people even said well where the hell are the lords of the cosmos i'm like issue three my friend issue three (laughs) again as as it's kind of unfolded in this kind of large sandbox Mm. that we realized that our heroes have been pummeled down pretty bad and they and the few of them that are left have gone into this kind of uh sanctuary of hiding and that they have to be killed before the villains can take out everybody else so that's kind of the general crux of it but we found that through designing all these characters and just throwing out again this gigantic sandbox that's maybe only 10% explored that 
as more people have touched it and gotten involved, there's been more questions asked and people have started to fill in the details with us and, and for us. So we don't even really know everything that's out there yet, but it's kind of been a really fun journey of discovery, uh, building out a very um, original but respectful nod to that genre that was big in the 80s uh, and even back to the 30s with Flash Gordon. So if that excites you and you think that's cool, then you should check out the book. Okay. There's my big question. Yeah. So, yeah, I'm actually kind of curious. So I'm not, I, I will admit, I've, I've said this on previous podcasts, uh, whenever we had WV Popcorn on here, actually, I've never read comic books. I've never really, that's just never, I've, I do a lot of reading, but I've never read comic books. So these issues of yours, I mean, what size are they? Are they, is, it, is this like a weekend read or what are we looking at here? So each issue, the first issue was 40 pages. The second one was, I believe, 48 um, you know, they're, they're, a, they're a fun lay on the couch with a root beer and maybe reading half an hour type thing each issue. So with the two issues, you've got maybe an hour of time to sit and really read them. Maybe if you're a fast reader, maybe you can do it all in 45 minutes, half an hour. I don't know. I kind of dig the idea of like, just, just from what you're saying, like the Lords of the Cosmos and they're using the civilians almost as bait to pull out these heroes and trying to get them out so they can... I, I kind of dig that whole like different take on it. It's not like, hey, we're the heroes. We're here to save it. It's like we're trying to get the heroes to come out of hiding so we can destroy the world. Yeah. I think that's so, a really cool idea. So, so we started asking a lot of questions with that genre of, you know, again, sci-fi barbarians. And that if we looked at Skeletor and his crew as like ISIS. Okay. But yeah. what never made sense about them is they never really put a put a beating on anybody that that's they did they usually just trip and fall and run away. Yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, so we we realized when we started to build this out was that our He Man character, whose name is Aegis, that he has his big debut on our next issue, is that he's come to this world with another guy that's like him, like a basically a one B He Man. And what's revealed is that they've showed up at the world and they get into a huge war with this Skeletor type guy and that at the end of this war and and we reveal this all in detail in the next issue is that the Skeletor guy basically incinerates his best friend. So which would be the equivalent of like, you know, He-Man sees Man-at-Arms get, you know, set on fire and killed. Yeah. And our question was, was what is the reaction to that um, if that happened to you? And the way we played it with our hero was is that he basically just bailed on the world and was like, I'm just going to go hide in my big military fortress on the side of a mountain because my best, my best friend basically got wasted by this guy we were trying to fight. We felt that was a little bit more real yeah. to say you know, that, there, that now there's a cost. And that mm-hmm. one of the things we get into in the next issue is like his remaining soldiers and officers are debating about the merits of hiding Versus, like, we're being out in the world, and then issue three introduces the fact that, like, this news of the world basically being set on fire um, is is come back to these guys. And there's not a whole lot of them left anymore because a lot of them have gotten killed <laughs> in all these conflicts. Mm-hmm. Is that what price is there with these guys hiding when they're basically the masters of the universe? Um, and then the end of issue three will we'll resolve that question into issue four. But you know, again, a lot of these properties never ask real questions. One of my favorite comic books of all time was Kingdom Come, which was the the Alex Ross uh, book that was all painted from DC years ago. And to me, as a reader, the best part of that book was that 
we've all read a million Batman comics, right? And we all know that Joker just kills people every mm-hmm. time he shows up. And Batman always makes it a point that, by God, he'll never kill Joker. Yeah. <clears throat> and he starts saying, hey, every time you don't kill Joker, he kills like 6,000 people. Um, Batman, are you helping anyone? And it's never addressed, even though it's a very realistic yeah. question. <laughs> yeah. If you remember the beginning of Kingdom Come, they showed Joker getting beating a court case or getting out of jail. And this new guy just shows up called Magog, and he just takes a spear and just shoots fire and just kills Joker. And he goes, I was tired of it. <laughs> yeah. and to me, that, that caught my attention as a reader because it's like, wait, he's, he's, he's asking the same stuff we've been saying. Like, Joker's killed how many – you know, he's a serial killer. Why, do we, why don't we kill this guy? He's, he's very bad. Um, well, and Magog's like, I agree. I will kill him in the book. And then the story moves forward from that. Mm-hmm. Um, so part of this was to say we, we want to tell this story, but we want to do it a little bit differently. We, we, we want to do it to a point where there's a different dynamic. Um, they've had this horrific war where the, the Skeletor-type guy's been knocked out, not killed, but he managed to put a massive personal hurting on, on the, the He-Man archetype to, to run that guy out of town, basically. Mm-hmm. And they're both kind of tapped out, but the bad guys start getting up. And now they're saying, no, we want to fight again. And if you won't show up, we're going to start doing horrific stuff to get you to show up. Because yeah. we think we think we can do that mm-hmm. to get you to show up. Because the bad guys still know these guys are powerful. And then if they don't get rid of them, that there's always going to be a problem. So they want mm-hmm. to take care of it right away. Um, and then one of the things in issue two that, that we dig into is that we show the period of time right before these two superhumans basically show up where there's – an earlier group of, of uh, kind of like a She-Ra type team called the Rainbow Knights, and that one of their members has left and basically fallen in love with the major bad guy, and then she shows up and basically leads an execution of, of the people that are basically keeping the peace to help the main bad guy out. And then one of those uh, women escapes and then meets the two guys forming the Lords of the Cosmos team in the past, mm-hmm. and which will lead to this huge war that they've had in the past, which is like the first world war on the planet. And then our published issues are basically the start of the second world war. But again, this is like stuff that as we've done it and, and, and made it, it started to become clear to us. So we've tried to put like little feeders and hints and stuff. So like an issue too, there's all kinds of stuff that's like, uh, please go read Lost Tales of Aiden Issue 7. Well, none of that stuff even exists, but we want to try to give you those nods like you're reading something that's got all this backstory and a million back issues and a TV show. And on the back yeah. of each issue, there's a toy we had made, so there's even like a toy line. Well, we had one reviewer that was like, I missed toys in the 80s? I don't get it. Yeah. <laughs> that's awesome. <laughs> right. So that's kind of the general gist of it. And look, I'm not I'm not going to say our books are perfect. Um, they're a work in progress. And, and again... Now I'm eager to get you guys to to read them and, and, and tell me what you think because you know people have said I love it, eh, it could have been better. Didn't like the pace, didn't like this, didn't like those pinups, and I'm like, eh, all right, cool, um, you know. And but you just kind of move on and say, cool, I'm going to take all that feedback and try to make these books better. Um, and and I think we have a really cool vision for where they're going that uh, is cool and it's a little bit different. It's different enough that it's a good hook if you like that genre. I like the whole idea of it, like the whole the the basically the bad guys are trying to draw out the good guys that are in hiding. Like you can't, you, you kind of get that sometimes between like comics and like movies and things like that, but it's not focused on that much. It's, it's always like a, an afterthought, like at the beginning of the movie or at the beginning of whatever you're reading. 
and the basis becomes like you know the good guys fight against that like it seems like this is more of a a story about how the the i guess the bad guys in this case are drawing out the good guys so they can take over the world it it seems to me like a cool take on it and i i'm i'm interested in reading it honestly like good yeah i'll Excellent. say what what seems especially interesting to me is um so i feel like the theme in the book kind of sounds like, at least from your description, that it, it's, it ties into one of my favorite book series ever. Um, and I've read a lot of Warhammer 40,000, um, mm. the Black Library stuff. And one of the things that I always felt reading those books, and I feel the same way about the superhero movies and superhero stories that I've read, is that generally these superheroes tend to have superhero reactions to mm. things. And so you almost kind of have at times you can almost have kind of like a disconnect, you know, because mm-hmm. they, they have these reactions to situations where most normal people probably would not have that same reaction. Kind of yeah. like what you were talking about with your He-Man character where, you know, he witnesses a friend die and he's like, whoa, I'm going to go chill in my cave. Like, yeah. this is heavy. Very much. You know, and and uh, I remember that there was a, a book series, Gaunt's Ghosts, that I had read, and it was like set in the Warhammer universe but it was based on all the foot soldiers that just get murked in every battle and like yes. them trying to deal with like living amongst these gods basically. Mm-hmm. And you get actual human reactions to these ridiculously insane things that are happening. So I, I find that very intriguing. Yeah. I've so always, we, we had one guy write us a letter and he said, this, this is like a Warhammer 40 K like story. And I was like, Ooh, wow. I was like, someone just compared us to, <laughs> The granddaddy of single top miniature games, mm-hmm. and I was like, that, that that was a pretty wild connection for me. So, and and I am passingly familiar with Warhammer 40k through uh, some guy that does these really dope uh, documentaries about the game on YouTube. I think his name's like Lutorus or something like that. He does mm-hmm. hundreds of these videos about the game, and uh, I, I like that universe because it just seems to be ridiculously expansive, and it's like there's a million other stories to tell. Oh, it is, yeah. But, uh, yeah, like, what, what is that reaction? Because, you know, again, it, it, if you had someone that you cared about basically murdered in front of you, I mean, what would your – like, let's go fight more. Would it be? I don't know. I mean, but we, we just wanted mm. to put a different spin. Like, what, what is this guy's reaction to seeing his – basically his brother being incinerated in front of him mm-hmm. by this guy that's like a, a, a robotic corpse mm-hmm. <laughs> um, that just spouts off, like, evil non sequiturs? Um, you put that human, you put that like human aspect onto your, your main hero. Yeah. Like you get that human aspect on a lot of like heroes, like quote unquote heroes, but it's not that emotional. Like I'm going to lock myself away from society. Well, your like superhuman characters have superhuman reactions. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah. like you're, you know, you, you, I, I like the, the idea of making this superhuman human. Like, I think that's really a, a unique way to look at it. And I, I haven't delved too deep into comics much ever, but like, I like the idea of the whole, you know, putting that, like that real human reaction on your hero and then having the world, like, you know, these basically like your, your Hitler's being out like, Hey, I'm doing this. What are you going to do about it? Like, I'm going to destroy the world. Well, and, come uh, fight me. You know, I think it's really cool. A perfect example of what, what you were saying earlier of, um, you know, your Skeletor character that he's kind of like your ISIS. Yeah. Well, 
how controversial of an issue was that? You know, us sending American troops into Syria mm-hmm. to fight ISIS. That was not a unanimous oh, yeah. agreement thing. Mm-hmm. It's not like the the United States public just all got together and were like, yes, this is what Let's we're doing. You know, and it's like, <laughs> yeah, with with even with, you know, even if you pick the kind of cliched bad guy, you know, the Nazis, if yeah, you actually do why. your research, like a lot of Americans did not want to fight that war. Oh, yeah. Had Pearl Harbor not happened, we probably wouldn't have ended up there. Mm-hmm. And in a lot of the superhero movies that are out now, especially the plot lines are just so, you know, cut and dried, black and white. Yeah. Here's a bad guy, punch him in the face. And the there's really no that's what I like about. Yeah. yeah. That's what I like about like Jason. I like about your story. It's like, it's not that way. It's yeah. complicated. It's, yeah. It's, it's got more, it's got more depth than just, you're like, Hey, we're good. Hey, we're bad. Let's fight it out. And the good guys are going to win. It's like, from what you well, described to me, it's like there's a good chance that the bad guys might actually take this, like you yeah. know, like, <laughs> you know, which doesn't happen often. So there was a really great documentary mm-hmm. that I watched as a kid in the '80s on PBS mm-hmm. called World at War, and you know, again, just another kind of uh, you know odd element to this book was when these heroes were fighting this this war that we haven't shown shown you yet. We're going to show part of it as a flashback in issue three um, with a, a military uh, battle from that war. And one of the things we talked about as a creative team was like we wanted to to to, to put all these weird, you know, uh, like one of the characters is a bug with a 12 gauge shotgun and like a robot samurai <laughs> and all these rando characters. But we wanted to put them in the like world at war where they had, if you remember that show, it was made by Britain or the BBC, BBC and it had like mm-hmm. little animated flags with arrows. You know, and Rommel moved across Egypt, like a little German flag would like slide across the map. And, mm-hmm. and, and then it would show like footage of like, you know, uh, black and white uh, film of like tanks driving around. Then they would like interview some guys like I'm an 80 year old veteran from like the English army or whatever. Yeah. And like so, what we really want to do is, is to show that these heroes were, you know, after these superhumans showed up, they, they go after this guy. They're the ones going proactively after him in the past. Mm-hmm. Right. And that they are basically involved in World War II with like rando superhuman characters and like creatures and like, you know, walking gigantic lobsters with artillery cannons on their back. But it's like really serious that, that like these hero leaders are like they're the generals. And like mm-hmm. back in the day, they were like, hell yeah, we're here to fight the bad guys until the bad guy paced one of them really hard and is like, you want to keep fighting me? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah it, and that, um, and that and that basically ends that war. But we're kind of given like an insight back into that through issue three to start saying, like, whoa, what, where, where are the lords? Because people said, where are the lords of the cosmos? You have a comic with these guys. And they're not even <laughs> in except a couple of them running away. It sounds like a like a darker, more science fiction-y. Um, and saying darker is, uh, in my opinion, it's a compliment of uh, Watchmen because I thought that Watchmen mm-hmm. did a very good job of introducing sort of that human element with, you mm-hmm. know, you get to see sure. the comedian and Dr. Manhattan fighting in the Vietnam the War. Yeah. And, you know, you have these very complex issues of, like, how do we go about this? And it, it sounds to me like you guys are hitting all of those notches, which Watchmen is actually the only graphic novel that I ever read. Um, so it, it's making me more and more interested in reading these. So one of the cool things about Watchmen, and again, I would never try to say this book is Watchmen because I think Watchmen's kind of an untouchable, perfect book, mm-hmm. is that one of the things <laughs> I really liked about Watchmen was it just kind of threw you in at like, 
issue one was like this is the end of their like you know 500 issue run right and like mm-hmm. you didn't, you didn't need to read all those books to start saying what what do you mean because like and it, it, you know and again so one of the things we did was like this is kind of the end of the road for the lords of the cosmos that's mm-hmm. where that's where stuff's going like there's an end and this is the end of the road like there's been all the stuff that's gone on before and like we keep throwing little flashbacks to you with these like backup stories and like things are said, like as an issue too, when the main bad guy shows back up, like they capture like a human general that's like defending like the the frontier, and this guy's like, dude, you got killed like nine years ago, or what? This can't be. And he's like, I'm I'm here. I can assure you, I'm here. And then his men like execute this guy. So it's like, mm-hmm. wait, hold on, what? And and I always like that about Watchmen that they didn't need to. They didn't need to show you every single thing, and and I'm going to tell you if you look, one of the coolest characters ever was Darth Vader, and when I was mm-hmm. a kid, he was just wasting people in Empire Strikes Back, and you were like, hell yeah, this guy just kills people, you know, and like there was a little bit of humanizing of him in Return of the Jedi, and it was like that was great, and then holy hell, they pounded that character into crap, where yeah, it's like, oh, look, yeah. he's, <laughs> he's a whiny little spark joke, so it's like sometimes this stuff works better. When we don't need to read 800 issues of the comedian. Yeah, right. We saw him exactly. <laughs> we got little little flashbacks of him being an asshole in Vietnam and whatever. That's it. We don't mm-hmm. need 800 issues of it. It's good enough the way it is. And yeah. uh, I think that's a huge problem with some of these things that like we have to examine. Like I watched Solo recently on Netflix. Oh my goodness! I mean, it's like here's how he got his gun. Here's how he got his vest. It's like wow. Does do we need to know everything? Like you're killing it. Like just can't yeah. you just show up and just be like, I'm like, I'm here. And I have this big bear dude and I shoot people. Yeah, it, I still haven't finished hard. that movie. Like I've fallen asleep twice watching it. Like see, I'm still I, interest. I, I'm still so, waiting for them so to ruin bad. Yoda. Uh well, so I, I guess to me, that's the beauty of Watchmen is like we they told you enough. Yeah. You don't we don't need to know every adventure of the comedian. We got all the we got all the stuff we needed. That was it. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, it adds that, mis- that mystery to it. Almost like you know, you know, you know who this character is, and like you form your own thoughts about it. Like you come out with a movie about him, or like a comic book fully about him. It's like you shatter those like childhood or your 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 thoughts about that character. The same thing with like like you were saying the Darth Vader, like you know from oh. the seventies, like loved it, and then you come out with these bullshit fucking like episode <clears throat> one, two, and three, and it was like cool. I hate Darth Vader now. Like, you know, it's like, well, you know, and he's, uh, been, he's been, he's been, he's been pounded into, we know so much about him now. We yeah. don't care. Yep, exactly. And, yep. and, and I think he's, he was the best. Go ahead. I'm sorry. Mm-hmm. Oh, no, you're good. I, uh, I was just going to say, I think for me, you know, a personal taste of mine is that I prefer to read books over watching movies. I just, it's, you know, time constraints. I only read books that I think are going to be good. Um, and for me, the reason that I've always enjoyed reading books so much more, and I think it's a good tie-in for what you guys are talking about, is that when you read a book, the character becomes the character that you've made it in your mind. Yeah. And the story is different for every person that reads it because the world that they are imagining and the characters that they are you know, creating in their own mind is completely unique to them. Mm -hmm. And you have that same sort of aspect whenever you have a character like the comedian where you don't really know all of his ins and outs. You kind of know like a brief summary. And what I love about it is that 
you, it's almost more realistic because if you imagine yourself as you know the reader as a person in that universe, that's probably all you would get to know mm-hmm. is the clips that sure. you see in the news and the stories that you hear about from people that met him one time and this is what he said and you heard these rumors about him and you know it's just so much more realistic whereas most of the time you're not going to know everybody's day-to-day yeah. activities you're not going to know how han solo got his gun yeah. you know you're not going to know all of these little details and there's just no mystery there's no creativity there's no uniqueness it just becomes bland at that point mm-hmm. Well, one of the real problems I have with entertainment in general is it's a lot of it's morphed into. Uh, well, in South Park summed it up better than I can. Remember that? Remember, remember that? The remember berries. the berries? Yep. Remember <laughs> a lot of stuff. Just remember Lando. Remember Millennium yep. uh, Falcon. <laughs> They're not giving us anything new. It's like, what's your new idea? Oh wait, no one cares about those. But you're like, look, it's remember stormtroopers, and yeah. I think a lot of entertainment has gone that way. You know, mm-hmm. even if you look at Watchmen, I mean, they before Watchmen, they did that. The other, and there was a lot of mixed reactions. People were just saying, like, man, you're just really just, you know, did we really need this? And the answer is you, you didn't. But it's mm-hmm. like if we put remember Watchmen that I got to get the comedian comic. Yeah. And did you need it? Um, mm-hmm. And really, this goes back to the, our whole uh, legal discussion about fan art versus original art that. If all I draw is Deadpool eating a taco, see, we've gone full circle back to this taco. <laughs> <laughs> that, that the question is, what, what am I even a creator, or am I just an imitator? You know, and yeah. you can have That's the a- ability to draw stuff, and you can be pretty damn good, but can you make up an original concept? Mm-hmm. And that and that's a real rub because you can say, look, I can draw this, I can get a photograph, and I can draw it exactly. And that's cool, and that's that's a talent. But that that's a lot different than saying what what is in your head that should excite me that I want to get excited about. It's tough. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, it's like, uh, are you a musician or are you an artist? Yeah, yeah. It's like, yeah. Can can you go out there and and play other people's music, or can you sit and write your own song? Yeah, you know, front to back, like. Well, and if you look at it, you know, if you look at, and he's kind of on the public consciousness, Freddie Mercury, Freddie mm-hmm. Mercury could knock out great music and he could write music. So he mm-hmm. was a double threat. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. That's why he got so damn famous because he could do both. And yeah. it was like, well, he's very good at singing these existing songs. And he was a hell of a singer, but he could make great songs yeah. and sing them at a high level. So, mm-hmm. you know, again, I think that's the problem with a lot of these things right now is this, like, I love Watchmen. Make up a new one. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm not Stop. looking forward to this series, the TV series. I didn't even know they were making. Isn't it on series. HBO though? It's not on HBO. It's on like Amazon, I think. Oh, or maybe it is H. Either way, even if it is HBO, uh, the movie was worth, good. It's, it's it worth. still couldn't capture the the graphic novel. There doesn't need to be a TV series. It's unnecessary. Yeah. Well, it's just like what they're doing in horror. There's no original ideas anymore. It's just regurgitation, re envisioning. Just going back to what we were saying, there's no original ideas. Yeah, it's like all the the big money holders decide that they need to invest in what's safe, and an idea that's already made a lot of money is pretty safe. Well, and and Jason, I think that you kind of touched on this a little bit earlier. There, you know, you kind of have this problem where you have people who say one thing and then they want something totally different. You know, they say, "Oh, we want original horror." 
we want something new. And then something new comes out, like Hereditary. I don't know if you saw Hereditary Loved or not. I thought it. it was fantastic. Yeah. A lot of people hated it. Because it wasn't, in my opinion, the reason that a lot of people hated it was because it wasn't just the conventional. It wasn't the convention, you know. Exactly, it wasn't what people expect to get. You know, you know what they want. You know what they want. They want to see Friday the Thirteenth Part Zillion. Right. They want Rob Zombie to come back and 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 direct another movie that's awful. And for the record, I thought Hereditary was amazing, and I loved it for all the reasons you just said, because you didn't know where it was going. It it wasn't like, remember this? So uncomfortable. That movie made me so uncomfortable. That's what I try to tell people. It's it's the kind of movie where... I, I like to call that atmospheric horror, yeah. like The Witch. You know, if you like the that witch, movie, oh, very Kubrick, the Witch, very Kubrick, very oh, Kubrick. So the vibe that you get from yes, the ride, very Kubrick, is very yeah. Kubrick. It it doesn't. Nothing is. Not very many things are going to come right out and punch you in the face and scare you. Right. But you you're can only feel, think of like three or four things where it was like you saw you're something feel crazy, but so uncomfortable. The it's the whole tension. Time. Yeah, it's yeah. the tension. No, The Witch and Hereditary. Uh, I felt were both. Uh, Again, they had the balls to do. I mean, there was nothing in those films that like it was just like they stood. They stood on their own because they had balls. I mean, it's yeah. like here's a. Film. I mean, it was just everything was original, uh, and those films had to stand on their own merit. It wasn't like oh wow, it's it's you know oh Halloween here's Jamie Lee Curtis again, and you're like yeah. wow. <laughs> I'm so excited to watch a you know a, a lady re prize the same role 40 years later uh fighting stuff i mean i haven't seen it i haven't seen it yet it's just i mean that it it just seems like that's the kind of problem that that jason like you were talking about earlier where you know people say that they want something unique but then they go to the cons and like the way that you put it you know can i throw money at you harder for (laughs) basically just prints of deadpool eating a taco and and I'm not, not going to say the name, but there is a person that I see it shows, and all they do is they take, uh, they just take screen caps of like famous images. Now they could be comic book images, or uh, they could be you know TV stills. And what they do is they put them on Photoshop, and they they literally take all the detail out. So like the faces are just like a flesh colored oval, and this uh, vendor, you will, it, it's five deep. <laughs> I think I know what you're talking about. And, and, and it, like, I look at it and I'm just like, this is crazy. I don't know why anyone would pay for this stuff. And, you know, that uh, individual, or if it's multiple people, I don't even know if it's even one person, it's just like, they can knock out work in five minutes. Yeah. It's like, oh, wait, what? I'll take the new uh, Assassin's Creed box. And I'll just simplify the art to like shapes, and people are like, oh, they can't throw money at it fast enough. And you're just like, that's that's, it's 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 awful. They're playing like a mean trick on the, uh, like a cruel association game. It's like, oh, you you remember this, don't you? Don't you want to buy it? Well, I mean, it's look terrible. at uh, look at Ready Player One. I don't know if you guys saw Ready Player One yeah. or not. Mm-hmm. It was okay. I- I did not, but it looked kind of dumb to me. But go ahead. I'm now I'm curious. <laughs> so so it was okay. It wasn't terrible, but it was so obvious that the only reason that it did as well as it did was Remember me? 
it just constantly did the member, right? It's just all the time you're just getting fan service of like, oh, there's Batman. Oh, there's Godzilla. Oh, there's yep. King Kong. Oh. And you can tell that now I haven't mm-hmm. read the book yet, and I might. I haven't decided yet. Um, but you can tell if you're somebody who enjoys movies and books and um, stories, you can tell that there is so much there that they left out mm-hmm. to get more mm-hmm. references in. Yeah. And it's so that disappointing because you can, you can just, you, yeah, you, <laughs> yeah. Can, you can just clearly see that they cut out a lot of very integral story to get more pop culture references. Yep. Mm-hmm. Wasn't that Spielberg? Uh, maybe. I don't. Yes, it was. He was involved yeah. in it. Oh, yeah. that hurts my heart because he was such an yeah. innovator. Now he's just milking pop yeah. culture. But that's like just a that. It, it honestly, I, I've been noticing it more and more and more and more in movies. I so I just watched recently "Hold the Dark" on Netflix. It's pretty yeah. decent. It's really confusing though. So after the movie was over, I looked it up, and it was from a book, and the book was very highly rated. So I read the book. Was that the Alaskan Town film? Okay. They cut so much, like, main story. Not even, like, you know, side story that doesn't really... Character development. But, like, stuff that when it's not included in the movie, the movie doesn't make any fucking sense. It didn't make sense. And... Was that the movie with the guy from... um, From Westworld. Yeah. Yeah. I watched that. I, I dug the movie. But it doesn't make any it sense. It doesn't make any sense. You because it was dark and weird. Because and like, they at the took, end of the movie, I was like, that was cool, but I have no fucking clue what happened. Yeah, because they took <laughs> almost all of the story out of it. And I don't know if they were just like, hey, we have the guy from Westworld, and we've got some wolves. People will like this, yeah. and we'll just make it real edgy. <laughs> but it, there's just no story. I don't know if maybe it's just the culture is shifting, and people just want more like instant gratification. It is. That, that's exactly what it is. But it's very disappointing. I will say well, that. Well, I'm telling you, I mean, the member berries. Um, it's perfect. <laughs> like, it, it's perfect. And, yeah. and I'm telling you, Comic Con is just very fascinating because at this point, most of the people I like to talk to on Artist Alley, I like to talk to people that are making their own stuff because, again, mm-hmm. if you don't understand the difference, it all looks the same. But, you know, the guy just drawing, you know, stills from famous movies and stuff versus the guy that's like schlepping out his own book. Mm-hmm. I mean, they're two different animals. I mean, to, to do your own original stuff, I mean, you really, I mean, again, it's live without a net. Yeah. Um, are, are you selling anything that's original to you? That's, mm-hmm. that's your idea. And, you know, and if the answer is no, and you can say, well, I still made money. You know, again, are you just a person like turning dollars or are you a creator? Yeah. And they're two different things. Mm-hmm. I mean, they can that you could be a creator making your own nickel, but you know, are you just schlepping out stuff that's popular? I mean, I'm not kidding you. I've wondered if you could just, you know, just download images and sell them. Uh, well, actually I know the answer. There was a guy that was <laughs> outed for this years ago, like f- f- 4 or 5 years ago in Pittsburgh. Mm-hmm. He uh his entire portfolio was fake. Oh wow. Like all this guy did was he would just go to deviant art and just like pull down like really dope art from like variety of people. Even his show banner was like other people's art. But there's so much art that people would just see him like, holy hell man, your art's dope. Yeah. And uh, I mean it was really good stuff. And he was making a lot of money and what got him in trouble was he sold a quote original piece of art and he sold it to a girl 
for a couple hundred dollars. And then she just got this bug in her head that was like, this seems so familiar. Mm -hmm. And looked it up and it was like some big time DC artist. It was his art. He just light boxed it and resold it as his own. And then she went to uh, Bleeding Cool, I believe it was. And then those guys, once they got their hooks in them, I mean, their minions, literally, it was like everything on his website, everything that he had was like, this is, you know, a Joe Casada. This is, a you know, an art. Like, it was all. It was everything. Yeah. And uh, he he exited the scene. But I talked to a friend of his afterwards, and I was like, why did he do it? And he goes, Jason, you have no idea how much money this is. This guy was making thousands of dollars. It shows that you might make $200 at $300. That's so fucked. Like, as as an artist, like, as a musician, as an artist, like, that fucking pisses me off. Like, that, like, somebody taking your stuff just and claiming it as their own, like, that, that goes right through me. Like, I... You know, I know a lot of people out there probably won't really understand that, but like until you've created something and seeing it shat on by the you know the community or whatever, only to see somebody out there that's stealing other people's good work and then you know making profit off of it, whenever you know you can't even make a dollar off of your own stuff, it's like fuck well, that and, guy. Like and, and this guy's guy stuff was like all star. I mean, it was an all star uh, cast. It was mm-hmm. an, you know it was like it's like it would be like the equivalent of me tailing like Jim Lee, Art Adams. Uh, and Todd McFarlane kind of morphed into like one guy. <laughs> you just... know what I mean? <laughs> so you're, 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 you know, it's like, man, this guy's stuff's awesome, and it's like, hell yeah, it is. <laughs> yeah, just the balls. Right. <laughs> yeah. What really gets yeah, me is. is the balls and the ego on the human that would be responsible for doing something like oh. that. You know what I mean? He literally had nothing original. E- everything, even the art on his banner, was other people's stuff. He probably had other people print it for him too. Like he probably didn't even go through that process. Son of a bitch. Who knows? Like, so Jason, yeah, you know, he was rewarded handsomely for doing that. And look, I'm not saying that everyone's doing that. I think that's the minority, oh, yeah. all minority. But you know, again. The next time you guys are at a show, and I don't know how many shows you guys go to, but you know, it's just interesting just to just to kind of look at everyone real closely and just mm-hmm. what do you have that's original? Yeah, and they have a lot. But I I tend to veer more towards like you know like it's cool to see somebody like you know drawing you know a Rick and Morty piece where they're like in real life or something like that. Like it's cool, but to me, I I veer more towards like the the art that I haven't seen before because it's it is original. And I can appreciate more original art. Like, yeah, it's it's fun and cool to see, you know, these uh, popular, you know, comic book characters or TV characters or movies, you know, in different situations. Like, it's cool. It, it's still your idea, but I still like to see the original art myself. Sure. <clears throat> so, Jason, sorry we were on so many tangents earlier. It <laughs> never crossed my mind to ask this until now, but... Where can people find your artwork? Oh, yeah. <laughs> I should probably touch on that, yeah. Well, that's a great question. So I try to make it simple. Um, the easiest place uh, to buy my art would probably be Etsy. So I'm just on Etsy as Lennox Art Emporium. I sell my T-shirts. I sell my comic books. I sell my prints there. So you can just look me up on Etsy at Lennox Art Emporium. Um, Lords of the Cosmos is for sale at Comixology. Um and, uh, you know, if you want to follow me, you can follow me on Instagram and Twitter at Lennox Artist. I'm on Facebook at Jason Lennox Illustrator. 
uh, I'm on DeviantArt too. It's Jason Lennox something or other on DeviantArt. I, I, shame on me. I don't even know the link to that. It's so <laughs> long. Um, and then I have my website, jasonlennox.com, which is kind of like an archive source for uh, all my art. And then it has a list of uh, my calendar of shows I'll be at. So if you're like, I'm so burning to argue with this guy in person, you can go on there. And <laughs> yeah. Add uh, but yeah, so th- those are the, those are the easy places to hit me up at on the on the interwebs. Awesome, cool. Is there anything uh, anything else you want to cover before we uh, before we wrap it up? Ooh, great question. We haven't, we haven't uh, actually touched on. I know we've gotten on like a lot of tangents and we do this things. Yeah, with that, 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 that's our that's our thing. Yeah, <laughs> I would have loved to have say, "Have you guys seen Hereditary? It's so good." But you guys stole my thunder on that, so I think we're. <laughs> I think we're <laughs> Yeah, who who knew that a, a, an eight year old girl getting her head torn off could be such great family entertainment? But yeah, I, <laughs> you know that goat was a real goat. Oh really? Yeah, I thought it was CGI, but I read an article that was apparently it was a, a two hundred twenty pound real male goat, and apparently it was it was completely unpredictable at this on the in the in the film, and then it hurt some of the actors. It was so violent. Oh wow! <laughs> Wait, what goat? In the witch was. Hereditary. Yes, and the witch. Yes. Oh, okay, okay, okay. okay. I thought I was so. trying to think of so. where there was a goat in Hereditary, and I was like, I don't remember. You just look at that goat, and you're like, oh, you, yeah. I can't trust Dude, this he, thing. He looked It's mean. not to be trusted. That movie <laughs> was... Mean. Yeah. Just the... No, well, um, the good oof. thing is both films had happy endings, so, like, everyone was a big winner, and, you know... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's true, actually, <laughs> you know? If you yeah, think no, about like, it... Happy endings, man. They were great mm-hmm. movies. They were family, mm-hmm. family fun. But, no, I... Guys, this was a great chat. Um, I hope to see you guys at West Virginia again. Like I said, we'll, we'll know in a couple of weeks if that's that's still good to go. And awesome. Yeah, we'll awesome. definitely do a uh, if you're at if you're at PopCon, we'll do a follow up. Um, we plan on having a booth there, and we're we're going to do like kind of the same thing we did last year. We're going to sit down with you know the the vendors and things and kind of catch up, and then you know we can definitely catch up with you and kind of get an update on what's yes. happening over there. So we're excited. And, uh, and uh, just send me a reminder, and I'll shoot you the. Uh, I'll shoot you all the PDFs for Lords of the Cosmos, so you can you can slave away and read them. Okay, that yeah, definitely, awesome. that'd be awesome. Yeah, and I'll I'll be uh, I'll be messaging you as well to get like you know any of your social media stuff. That way, I can link it in the description below, and that way people yeah, yeah. can actually just like. Shoot, and I'll just shoot you all as, as a big list because it's like I'm a DVR on something. Uh. Yeah, you said a lot of stuff, and I was like, oh, that's a lot of stuff. I'm just gonna I'm just gonna like let you guide me in that direction. So. <laughs> Just send me a reminder, and I'll just uh, I'll just send you a list, and you can like copy and paste, and you'll you'll seem like you were taking notes furiously. Yeah, yeah exactly, <laughs> yes, exactly. Yes. Make make me look notes. better. Make me look very better. Good yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All, All right, guys, are we good? Yeah, yes, yeah, sir, we good. Are. Thanks so much, man. Like this is awesome. All right, guys. Hey, have a great week, and uh, whenever this goes live, just shoot me a note, and I'll be happy to post it out and tell people listen to this show. Damn it, awesome. awesome. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. I'll appreciate definitely it. let you know. Thanks so much. Yep. Talk to you later. Bye-bye.